Okay, we continue this morning in Isaiah 66. Hopefully everybody has a handout. I'm going to briefly review last week because over half of this class wasn't even here last week. Alright, this is the last chapter in Isaiah. Most likely we will finish up today. If we don't finish up today, it will be early next week. Okay, the first two ver- we spent a good bit of time last week on the first two verses of Isaiah 66, which reads, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who has a humble and contrite, who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Alright, we will just briefly go through your notes here. Isaiah points out the Jews' wrong attitude toward the temple. It appears that they had turned the temple into an object of worship itself. And so God tells them in verses 1 and 2 that he doesn't dwell there. He is not confined to any temple. The Lord God is everywhere present, but that's not where he's going to meet with people. That's not the place where he's going to meet because of their attitude. You're not going to find me there. I am not confined there. I fill the heavens and the earth. In your notes it says, therefore they will not succeed in meeting with him there. He only meets with those who have the right attitude. He is looking for spiritual worship and not pure rituals. True worshipers must be humble, they must be contrite, and they must fear God properly by trembling at his word. And then I ask the question, do you tremble at God's word when you come to church? If you don't come in here with a contrite and humble spirit and tremble at God's word, God says, I'm not going to meet with you. You're wasting your time. So we would need on the Lord's day or even before the Lord's day to make sure we have that contrite and humble spirit and that we're ready to tremble at his word and that we would even spend the time before worship getting our hearts and our minds ready to meet with him. And Habakkuk 2.20 seems to say that the best they can do, these Jews, is to shut up and listen. And this shows how important it is for God's word to be preached in a worship service. And then in verse 3, we learn that their worship is actually an abomination to Yahweh. Verse 3, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, like one who offers pig's blood. And he who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. So in verse 3, we learn that their worship is actually an abomination to Yahweh. They're worshiping at the temple, and they're doing the things that they've been commanded to do. There's nothing wrong with uh, slaughtering an ox and things like this, 
These practices are all part of God's prescribed way to worship Him. The problem is their attitude. However, the last part of this verse shows that they mix in a little bit of their own devices. They mix in some of their own devices with God's prescribed worship. So this makes them no better than the Gentiles. They had a bad attitude and they were devoted to the things that God hated. Therefore, God will treat them harshly and bring their worst fears upon them, according to verse 4. Verse 4 says, I also will choose harsh treatment for them, bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that which I do not delight. And then I think we ended up verses 5 through 11. Did we cover those verses last week? 5 through 11? Don't think so. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's have verses 5 through 11 read. We'll start over here with Charles. If you will read 66, 5 through 11, please. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out of my, for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Says the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb? Says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy all who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. So God's true worshipers are persecuted. Remember, we always are going to have the seed of the serpent persecuting the seed of the woman. But God will put their persecutors to shame as we read at verse 5 or 6. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out, and but it is they who shall be put to shame, according to verse 5. And then God assures them that he will not leave them, but he will complete the work which he has begun to do in verses 7 through 9. Um. Bud, oh, never mind. Um, we read in John 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says, you can be sure of this, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So part of the Christian life is to be persecuted. And then in Matthew 5, 10 and 11, Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted on account of me. The greatest reward in heaven. So it's a theme all throughout the scriptures and it began with Cain and Abel that the wicked are going to persecute the righteous. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then finally God will turn their tribulation into joy. 
So if things are bad, they're like in birth pains now. Things are not looking good. But things will be good. So there is, again, no future for the wicked that persecute the righteous. They may have the upper hand now, but God promises his people that they're, that the wicked are the ones that are going to be put to shame and they are going to be vindicated. may not happen in their lifetime, but it will come. All right, verses 12 through 17, bud. If you've got that there, we will move on to that. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall, <clears throat> shall nourish, you shall be carried upon her hill, and bounced upon her knees. And one <clears throat> whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury. And his rebuke with flames of fire. And for by far fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh. And all those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and abomination in mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. Okay, the promises of God in these verses is one to bring them peace. He will bring his pe people peace like a river, Isaiah says. Well, extend peace to her like a river. Remember, uh, I don't know, 10 chapters before, God says, there is no peace for the wicked, says my God. Now we're talking about true biblical peace. We're not talking about just lack of problems. We're talking about peace. When you are born, you are at war with God. That war extends until you surrender and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. So his people will have peace the ones that persecute his people will have no peace. So that promise is made to them in verse 12. And also in verse 12, he will give them the glory or the riches of the nations. And um, the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, they will come in to Jerusalem. And in verse 13, he has promised he will comfort his people. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. They'll have peace. They will be comforted. And they will increase in riches. And God will make them rejoice and flourish. And then finally, again in verse 14, he will show indignation to their enemies. So for you, your hearts will rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, 
But then he said, says at the end of verse 14, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. As we've said once or twice before, God does make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And, of course, the great final separation will come when Jesus comes again. <clears throat> okay, and here in your notes in verses 15 through 17, Isaiah expands on the coming vengeance of God upon his people's enemies. Verse 17 refers to the religious hypocrites. Religious what? Hypocrites. Now, Jesus did a lot of battle with the hypocrites. They weren't new hypocrites. Hypocrites have always been. So we see here that um, God says that the Lord will come with fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his angry and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. By fire will the Lord enter into judgments and his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. So here we have a wonderful promise of God that these people that are persecuting the righteous that God will come uh, against them. And then as far as the hypocrites go, um, these would be the ones that sanctify and purify themselves according to verse 17 and then go into gardens following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh, Abomination. In other words, they come and worship God and then they just live like the devil. That would be equal to professing Christians nowadays that go to church on Sunday morning and then live just like pagans the rest of the week. And then they wonder why God doesn't bless them. They wonder why they have problems. So this is not something new. Worshiping God at a prescribed time, doing the right rituals and all of that and then totally ignoring him the rest of the week. Okay, anybody want to add anything to what I have said so far? Okay. Nobody's mad at me yet. That's mm -hmm. good. All right. Um, Mike, you'll read for us verses 19 through 21. Skip an 18. No, we're not going to do 18. <laughs> yeah, 18 through 21, I'm sorry. For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and will send survivors from them to the nations. Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshech, Rosh, Tubal, and Javan to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory. And they will declare my glory among the nations. Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. On horses and chariots and litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also... Take some of them for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. 
and it shall be from new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. Okay. <clears throat> all right. He actually read the rest of the book for us, so we will go ahead and cover that. All right. In verses 19, okay. In verse 18, God tells the Jews that he will bring the Gentiles into his kingdom. It says in verse 18, I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Now, beginning here and going through the rest of this book, I just for the life of me cannot see how anybody could read this and not be a postmillennialist. Mm. <laughs> I mean, just that one verse there would seem to clinch it. But, and plus we've got a lot more. So in this verse, God tells the Jews that he will bring the Gentiles into his kingdom. And the sign referred to in verse 19 is a resurrection of Christ. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud. There's just some good names for your next children. Yeah. <laughs> who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. So that they're going to be gathered. They're going to have a sign, which I think is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I will send the survivors to these nations. Now, what in the world are these nations and what is coastlands? Somebody in here asked me about coastlands a few weeks ago. And we're going to see. Turn to Genesis 10. Verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth. Now, Japheth was not the seed line. The Jews were the sons of uh, Shem. Because we see in few verses earlier in 9.26, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So we see that the top of the covenantal order here, I guess you might say, would be Shem. They ended up being the Jews. And then he says that the Japhites will dwell in the tents of Shem. All right, let's look down to 10 too. The sons of Japheth are Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshesh, Tyre. The sons of Gomer. And you see those sons of Gomer there. And then from these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands each with its own language by their clans. Now, these were Gentiles. They weren't Canaanites. They were Gentiles along the coast. And they are going to be brought into the kingdom. 
All these Japhites are going to be brought in. It's what Isaiah is telling them. All the sons of Japheth. Okay. The, and they, they dwelt along the coastlands. They were the Philistines and, and, and people like that. All right, so in verses 19 through 21, we learn the following about these Gentiles that are coming in. They will be evangelized by the Jews that escaped from the judgment on Jerusalem that is coming in due time. All right, some of them were dispersed. So we have Jews that have been dispersed among the nations. And that second bullet says they will bring back dispersed Jews when they come and worship. Where in the New Testament do we read about the dispersed Jews? First Peter. Absolutely. First Peter. All right, turn to First Peter. And we will be covering this next week. All right, the letter of 1 Peter starts off saying, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So, that is the Jewish dispersion. I believe, anyway, that Isaiah is talking about in these verses. They are going to come back into the kingdom and what do you know? We have a bunch of Gentiles in the kingdom too, according to 1 Peter. The churches that he write to, he writes, he wrote to, consist of dispersed Jews and Gentiles. <clears throat> okay? And this is the big kicker right here, I think. This verse destroys dispensationalism. In verse 21, he says. And some of them also I will take for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Gentiles, that's priests and Levites. What does this tell you? Does God have two groups of people? No, they're on equal footing. He takes priests and Levites among the Gentiles. That should really make dispensationalist squirm that verse <clears throat> Jill will you look up for us Romans 15 15 through 16 let's all turn there I wonder what the uh, Talmudic Jews say about that yeah. pretty hard to explain why I might let everybody's homework next week. All right, let's see. Romans 15. I'll get there in a minute. Go ahead and read that force bill whenever you get there. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
okay? The grace of God was given to him to be a minister, and he was a minister to the Gentiles, and they have now been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We see that in Acts chapter 10. They are made acceptable to God. They're even priests and Levites. Some of them are even priests and Levites. Now keep that in mind and turn over to Romans 11. I just want to read a few verses to you out of Romans 11. Selected verses. So remember what we read in verses 19 through 21 of Isaiah just a minute or two ago. And I read these verses to you. Romans 11, 5. It says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. That's Jews. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of work. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. All right, now, Romans 11, 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And then in verse 23, and even so, if they do not continue in their unbelief, talking about the Jews, they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And then finally, verses 29 through 32 we read, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have, may have mercy on all. So that he may, may have mercy on all. Yeah. All right, so um, here we have, in God's plan, we had the Jews, and then the Jews um, were unfaithful, and they got scattered among the Gentiles, but there was a remnant, and then these Jews that are scattered among the Gentiles are going to bring the Gentiles in, and so we are going to have really what's worldwide in the Bible, and we see the beginning of that in 1 Peter. Anybody have any comments on that? That's verses that you might just read through and not even think about that. But it is clearly there. All right, back to Isaiah 66. All right, in your notes here. Isaiah again refers to the new heavens and the new earth in verse 22. <clears throat> okay, remember, when were the new heavens inaugurated? It's going to be on your test now. Resurrection. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they will be consummated when he returns. So Isaiah again refers to the new heavens and the new earth. The then new heavens and new earth will pass away. It is temporary. As we read in Revelation 21, 21, excuse me, Revelation 21, 1, 
says, John sees a new heaven, <clears throat> new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So we have the new heavens and the new earth. The old heavens and old earth was in the Old Testament times up to the resurrection of Christ. And at the resurrection of Christ, we have the new heaven and the new earth, and there was no more sea. Does this mean we aren't going to have any oceans? What does it mean? Well, we do have oceans. Yeah, we do have oceans, so it doesn't mean that. There's a variety of... Sea was a scary place for them. Yeah. There's a variety of interpretations. The one I like is when you turn back to Revelation chapter 4. Hopefully I've gotten this right. John has been called up to heaven. And in Revelation 4, 5, he says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. There was a sea of glass before the throne, which would kind of present a barrier between God and his people. But now there's going to be no more sea. It is gone. Between God and His people, there is nothing. The Lord Jesus Christ mediates perfectly. So there is no more sea in the new heavens and the new earth. Nothing to separate us from God. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, the new heavens and the new earth are inaugurated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it is forever. In your notes, it says, In this new creation, which now is, but is not yet consummated, this now is, but it is not yet consummated, all flesh will come to worship Yahweh, according to verse 23. From the new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Now this doesn't mean every single person. This is not teaching universalism. But it is teaching that from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, men will come and worship God. All the nations. All will be in covenant with him and not just Jews. And in your notes, in the end, the church will see the vengeance of God, according to verse 24. They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die. Their fire shall not be quenched. And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. There you have the future of the wicked. That verse there shows you the future of the wicked. Those who oppose the kingdom of God will be finally and totally destroyed and defeated. It may seem like the wicked are winning right now. But God is just and holy and he has promised to execute his judgment on the wicked. And then of course Jesus <clears throat> quotes this verse in talking about his enemies. He says their worm 
their fire will not be quenched, and the worm shall not die. In Mark 9, 47, which is a dire warning for anyone that wants to oppose the Lord. The fire will not be quenched, and the worm will not die. And they will be an abhorrence to all flesh. That looks like a good place to end for today, doesn't it? <laughs> Anybody so, have anything? Yeah. Is, is this before the last judgment? Then? Yeah, I where believe the, so. Where, where the wicked are resurrected also. Yeah, I believe this is before the last judgment, but... Well, the, the idea of the eternality, of course, would be extend beyond the last judgment. Yeah. But I believe these verses these are... These are corpses. So. Yeah. Dead bodies. They look upon the dead bodies who have rebelled, and, the, and then the fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence of all flesh. But, uh, yeah, I believe this is end time, but it does extend past the final judgment. I believe that's what you'd have to look at I mean, they're going to suffer eternally. Now, their bodies will be quickened at the resurrection, but only so that they can suffer more torments. Jesus says, All who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good in the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. John 5, 28 29. Okay, anybody have anything else? Is the use of priests and Levites just putting it in terms that they can understand because of the temple practices? And how would that translate in the New Testament era after the resurrection? Okay, um, the priests and the Levites are ones that are made holy to God through consecration. They have to go through these rites to be made holy to where they can serve the Lord. Well, the same thing is going to... I believe there's a twofold thing in here. One is they are going to be... The Gentiles are going to be perfectly fit to serve God. Plus, when God says He's going to take them to be priests and Levites, I think He's going to say they're just as much in the kingdom as y'all are. I'll look upon them favorably just as I looked upon you favorably in the time of Exodus and Leviticus. They will be made perfectly clean and ready to serve me just like the Jews are now. Best I can do on that. Might have anything else? Okay, Chase, will you close us in prayer today?